0: I'm saying that because we're in uh, section two, part two, if you will, of a four-part series. We're using Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Voice of Knowledge. And if you remember last week, we talked a little bit about how to understand the difference between what is true for us versus what kind of society says we're supposed to do versus the, the way uh, maybe our parents told us that we should behave or, or have certain outlooks in life. So, so it's that difference maybe between what's true really personally for you, kind of between you and God, if you will, and what's true for maybe the rest of the world. Sometimes they match up. Sometimes they don't. For those of you who were here last week, you'll, uh, you'll remember I assigned you a little homework. And, and the homework was to begin looking at some of the things that you believe to be true about yourself and examine them to see if it really is true. If that is to be the way that your life uh, plays out. And today, I have a pop quiz for you. No, I really do, honestly. So this is the truth or fiction quiz. So get ready. So first... Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. Truth or fiction? Fiction. (laughs) True. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a little tricky. He is well known for per, per per for perfecting the light bulb. He's the one that brought it into commercial success, but actually was a fellow named Joseph Swan that initially invented it. Uh, an obscure scientist, but nonetheless he's the one that invented it. Okay, next one. Every drop of seawater contains over 1 billion atoms of gold. <laughs> these are a little tricky right yeah you're thinking I should have studied up for this pop quiz well it is true but the bad news is you know 4 billion atoms still probably nothing we can go to the bank on but what was interesting was there's there's actually more gold in seawater than almost all the other elements other than the elements that make up water itself so conceivably we have a little gold mine over here at the coast getting it out however perhaps difficult. Alright, next question. Air flight insurance is cheap because planes seldom crash. (laughs) Well, now this one totally is a trick question. It's not that that isn't true, but do you want to know the real reason why if you go to the airport you can get like a a million dollar life insurance policy for one dollar for your flight? It's because 95% of the people who are in a plane crash walk away from it. Did you know that? Almost no one dies in an airplane crash. All right. All right, now for those of you who have spent any time in Hawaii, here's a question for you. Which is more likely, death by shark or death by falling coconut? <laughs> it's the coconut. <laughs> Three times as many people every year die from being hit on the head by a coconut than are ever bothered by any sharks. All right, well, I could go on. You know, I have like 10 or 12 of these, but let me just do one more. A California redwood tree has the record for the world's largest living organism. True or false? It's false. It's a fungus right here in Oregon. Right here in Oregon, there's a giant underground mushroom that is 3.5 square miles wide. I know, some of you are like going, yeah. (laughs) All right. So you might be asking, well, why are we doing this little test? The reason we're doing this little test is to illustrate that what we think we know and what is true sometimes matches up and sometimes not so much and you know what there's even some brain science behind it there are even some psychologists that have done some studies around this that will point out to us why it is that often we're very mistaken even about the things that we believe most ardently before we get there though I have one more thing about truth or false and this is a joke for today So a businesswoman was interviewing applicants for the position of marketing director. She devised a simple test to select the most suitable person for the job. She asked each applicant the simple question, what is two and two? Well, the first interview, the interviewee, used to be a journalist. His answer was 22 the second was a social worker. She said, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I'm glad we had time to discuss this important question. <laughs> the third applicant had previously been an engineer. He pulled out a slide rule and proved the answer to be between 3.999 and 4.0001. The fourth was a lawyer who had researched an old legal case where it had been found and proven by jury that the answer was four. And last but not least, the last applicant was a statistician. The businesswoman asked her, how much is two plus two? The statistician got up from her chair, went over to the door and closed it and came back and sat down. She leaned across the desk and whispered, how much do you want it to be? (laughs) Believe it or not, that is what is going on in our own minds every day. Researchers at Stanford University found that rather than us changing our opinion of what is correct when we get new information... We actually store the information incorrectly to support our prevailing view. And for example, remember the little test that we started with? Some of those uh, kind of unusual facts? They gave a set of facts like that to entering freshmen. A month later, they gave them the same test. They got the same answer. So people who believed that shark attacks were common were not at all dissuaded by the coconut story. They still believed it was more prevalent to be attacked by a shark. People who had answered some of the other, like even the Edison question. Now you would think after we just talked about that, right? That you will remember even though Edison was involved with light bulbs, he didn't actually invent the first one. Believe it or not, if I tested you all even a month from now, many of you, and it isn't because we're poor at comprehending, it isn't that we're we're bad listeners, it's that we have been told over and over and over and over again that the man with the light bulb was Thomas Edison, and so many of us if we took that test again a month from now would still say Edison. It's because we actually filter our memories so that we remember what we believe. We don't actually change our beliefs so that they correspond to actual factual information. More often, we remember things in such a way that it supports what we already believe. It supports what we already think about ourselves and about the world. However, there's even more information. Did you know that it's more easy for us to remember and recall volatile information? So that's another one too. We go through our lives learning all kinds of things about people and and, and issues and things like that. Most of it doesn't actually sink in at all. We learn all kinds of truths and facts and ideas. And unless it's attached to something that scientists call volatile experience, we're apt to just pass it by. Again, it isn't that our comprehension is faulty. It isn't that we're not actually hearing it or seeing it, but it tends not to fit in with our worldview, so we just ignore it. One other piece of information that I found interesting is anyone here sometimes support the underdog? Do you know what I mean by that? Like the sports team that hasn't done well in years and years and years and suddenly they get as far as the playoffs and kind of we're all rooting for them or, or maybe someone, uh, someone at work that hasn't traditionally done very good at their job and, and all of a sudden they're improving a little bit and everybody is kind of rallying behind them. Do you know what? We make decisions based on the underdog theory and it's totally crazy. People, believe it or not, will look at stocks and say, well, now this stock hasn't done well for 25 years. It must be that stock's time to improve, and they will invest in it. Honestly, people will look at a past record of defeat and conclude that the luck must be ready to turn, that the chances then of of improvement are there. People make all kinds of decisions with this idea that the tide is gonna turn, that past history is no predictor of what's moving forward. Well now certainly in my own personality that's true. (laughs) Certainly I can change who I am or what I'm not, but if we're making our decisions somehow thinking that the, that the 50th throw of the quarter has a better luck of turning up at heads than the other 49, right? It's just not the way it works. All right, so this is how our brain works. This is how we filter things. This is why Don Miguel Ruiz says 90% of what's in our head is just craziness. Ninety percent. Well, in fact, here let me read this one uh, passage from here. Because here he talks about what is true. What is in our head that is true. The letter A is an A because we say so and we all agree. The word dog describes a certain kind of animal that we agree to call a dog. Knowledge used this way is factual and, and good and it's a tool for communication. But almost everything that is abstract is a lie, is a fabrication, or is simply an imagination. What is right or wrong, what is good and bad, what is beautiful or ugly, I discovered that more than 90% of the concepts I have stored in my mind were simply based on lies, opinions, and supposition, especially the concepts that I have believed about myself. What do you believe to be true about yourself? Were you told things as a child about who you are and what you could expect? Have some of your experiences with friends and family led you down a path of believing that you're maybe not smart enough or not lovable enough? Have have early job experiences told you that you're only qualified for certain kinds of jobs or certain ways of being? Have relationships maybe given you the idea that you're not as lovable as you would like to be or that relationships are just plain hard? I want to use an example from my own life. Um, So when I was a, a junior in high school, I was very involved in the theater department. And for whatever reason, more of my friends were over in choir. And I thought, well, this year I'll go out for choir. Well, it was an interesting experience because they had us, uh, I can't even remember, I think it was uh, that song, Daisy Daisy, that we had to sing for a little bit of an an audition. So, I got up and and did my audition and the the choir director placed me over with the the baritones and and as he was leading me over to the baritones, he kind of whispered in my ear, you know, it would be okay if you just kind of mouthed the words. (laughs) And I was kind of stunned by that. I didn't necessarily think of myself as a, a good or a bad singer. But what I realized, someone else did. Well, I went through choir that first term. And I did as he instructed. I, I uh, you know, just kind of mouthed the words in my little baritone section. But I remember going home at the end of the term and just thinking, this is silly. I sing, don't I? And I remember, uh, so, so knowing, knowing that the audition song was Daisy, right? Uh, my grandmother played the piano. And so whenever I would go over to visit Grandma, we would practice together. And when the fall term started up, um, this was me being very bold. I demanded to be re-auditioned. <laughs> and you know why? Because I decided that I could sing. And it was no more a lie than his lie that I couldn't sing, right? Do you know what I mean? Because it's all opinions, right? It's like what is, no no offense to some of my <laughs> friends who are singers right here in the audience today, but what is good singing, right? A lot of it is what you enjoy. A lot of it is what, what pleases you. And then there are, of course, other calibers. I mean, we have stunning singers here, right? But... What is appropriate for a choir? What's appropriate for singing in the bathtub? Do you know what I mean? I could have simply reached the conclusion I was not any good at singing and left it there. That would have been a lie that I told myself. So of course I was back in choir And he auditioned me again And I actually got to sing in the choir the next term <laughs> Apparently my grandma and I Had rehearsed Daisy Well enough <laughs> that I was in good stead But do you see how often Someone will confront us With a piece of information And sometimes they're, they're so loving about it or, or, or I mean really He was v- being very kind In the way he personally Do you know what I mean It wasn't that he was being mean And people who love us greatly all the time, I think, tell us bits of information that they think will be useful for us, especially children, right? Especially children. We will tell them, oh my, that's an interesting painting, but could you have maybe kept within the lines a little better? Or, wow, that's kind of pretty, but, uh, you know, purple and orange, um you know, not so much. All the subtle things we tell our friends, our loved ones, our children, our coworkers, that are simply an opinion. I want to suggest to you that it is simply your opinion that is driving you. It is simply your collective opinion of the things that people have said to you, the the things you have learned about yourself, the the ways we we come up against the world sometimes. You know, the world has a habit, too, of of pushing back on us, doesn't it? So it's the combination of all those different kinds of opinion that have er allowed you to arrive thinking about yourself, the way you think about yourself, right now. But if it's just an opinion, why couldn't we have another one? If it's just an opinion, why couldn't we have another one? Don Miguel Ruiz says that what's going on in our lives is that really we're creating a story, that every day we add a little bit more information of what we believe about ourselves and the world, that we add to the story that we've created so far about ourselves. And so that all of those opinions, if you will, and the the 10% that's actually factual, all of that, we're stringing it together and writing our story as we go. The suggestion that he has, I think, is one that every author has to struggle with at first. If I want to rewrite the story, where do I start? Is it the plot that needs to change? Is it the dialogue that needs to change? Ruiz says it's the main character. How many of the people in this room are the main characters in your own stories? Please let it be all of us. (laughs) You know, I I was talking to a young woman not long ago about, um, well, her marriage wasn't going quite the way she had wanted to. And after talking with her for about uh, 10 minutes, I decided that her husband actually was the main character in her life. That she saw everything through her husband's eyes, that she believed she was only worthy when her husband thought she was worthy, that she looked to her mother and her coworkers for all of the cues about how she should behave and how she should show up. And in many ways, I saw one of those perils of Pauline characters, like a woman tied to a railroad tracks. Do any Do any of you remember uh, like Rocky and Bullwinkle where where the heroine is tied to the railroad tracks? Well, that is, I guess, one main character that could exist in our lives. But would you wish anyone to have that life? Each of us has the chance of creating for ourselves exactly the hero or heroine of our dreams. Each of us has the ability to write the next chapter in our lives in such a way that we come out to be the way we want to be, whether it's more powerful or more lovable or more successful or more joyous. It can be a simple rewrite, have you ever noticed a book, and, and even if you just changed a few words in it, you'd get a subtly different meaning? There was a movie I saw not too long ago where only one conversation changed in the movie, and, and, and then they kind of replayed the whole thing, and it made all the difference in the world. It could be something really simple that you can change about beliefs in your own life, or maybe it's time for a plot twist, because I guess that's the other option, right? Maybe you have experienced something that's like being tied to the railroad tracks. Maybe at a certain place in your life you did feel the victim of, of the universe conspiring around you. But, but my gosh, let's do a happy ending instead. Let's change the plot if we need to be as, as dramatically different as we want because we are that powerful in our own life. And the cool thing here, so remember, I talked a little bit about brain science, about how we tend to support our own views by, by bringing in information that will support what we believe instead of using it to change what we believe. That can actually work in our be- in our benefit. What if we change the story? Let's say I've changed the story so that I'm the hero, so that I'm the passionate one, so that I have the life that I want. You know what's cool about it? I will start noticing the evidence and the truths out in the world then that support the news story. I'm going to get the feedback I desire. I'm going to be found to be true and worthy because I started by believing it myself. Now this might be a little bit of trickery, but, but what the heck, right? If brain science really works that way, let's use it for our own benefit. Well, you can imagine that I have a little bit of homework for you this week. Now, whether you actually want to get out a journal or a blank piece of paper, or whether you want to do this in your head, I'm going to leave it up to you. But the homework is, what's the next chapter? The homework is... How are you going to modify the main character of your story to be the hero or the, or the passionate one or the, the wise one or however you would like to view yourself successfully in the time to come? God will support us in this. This is pure science of mind. As we believe in our heart for it to be true, the universe will mightily conspire to bring it about. But we have to come up with the story first. We have to have a greater acceptance and awareness of what the next chapter of our lives is like. So there's your homework. Now some of you are going to go home and plan the the littlest, little (laughs) the tiniest little adjustments in your life. And that's good. It's a good start. I would like to suggest that the next chapter in your life could be outrageously good that could be successful beyond what you've ever encountered before. I would like to suggest, in the same way that sometimes you read a novel or a book that just knocks your socks off because you've never thought that way or you've never imagined something that could be so cool or so wonderful or, or so loving or portray such happiness or greatness, you can be that author. You can create that life. I'm going to close with a a final quote from The Voice of Knowledge and a prayer. Once we have the awareness to see our our own story, we discover that there is another way of creating the main character. Without awareness, there's nothing we can do because the story is so powerful that it will carry us along. It is a story that writes itself. We create the story, we give out our personal power to the story, and then the story is living our lives. But, with awareness, we recover control of the story, the plot, the characterization. This is the good news. If we don't like our story, we're the author's. We can change it. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. There is the source of all things in that source. My friends, is God, and it of course is everything that one could imagine or dream of. It is the the love eternal, it is the the joy that is unbound. it is the personal freedoms, it is the the life, the luxury, the peace and and the wonder of all things, all that is good contained within God. And what I'm saying on this day is that it means me too, that it means each person in this room. Each person here is in charge of what is to come. As we write the chapters in the book that is our lives, we are in charge. And I'm simply grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and presence as it shows up as the very people in this room grateful for life itself. I just let it be, and together we say, And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.